Thank you, team. Is it okay if I take this mic out? I tend to walk <laughs> and um, I want to make sure that you can hear me. Worship team, thank you. Oh my goodness. If ever you see me in church and I'm not singing, it's because I am completely undone by the incredible worship that we are so blessed to be part of here. Good morning, everyone. Thank you so much for having Stuart and I here. I'm Sonia Stuart. You've heard him, I think, a couple of times now. But the truth is, out of our relationship, the one who loves to hold a microphone is me. And I did ask Stuart if I needed to set a timer and he said, look, if you get to an hour, I'll stop you. So I hope that's okay, Trevor. (laughs) You never quite know what you're going to get. We are here today. When I saw the sign that we were sharing our inspirational story, that was a little bit overwhelming. That was a little bit of pressure. But if I can just say right up front... The inspiration of our story is the fact that we love and we serve and we are purposed by a God who loves to redeem pain and who loves to journey with people who are hurting. And that's, that's sort of where I'm, I'm prayerfully going to take us today as I share. Um, out of our relationship, I tend to be the storyteller and Stuart is this man of God who is my walking, talking Bible. Um, Back in the days when we were pastoring and I'd be worship leading, the night before I'd say to Stuart, I really need some scripture. Like, it really needs to fit this song. I'm sure it's in the Bible somewhere. And he could just go, yeah, in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 3, that's exactly what you're after. So we, um, we love to be a team. We love to serve God together. And we've had the privilege of doing that now for 30 years. We just celebrated our 30th wedding anniversary. Thank you. And I feel extremely comfortable amongst you all today because Stuart and I recently joined this very elite and special club of being grandparents. I think we've got a photo to show you of the little possum that um, God brought into our lives via marriage. Have we got that photo? I hope so. Nope, doesn't matter. There she is. That's Amity May. Amity um, and her beautiful mum joined our family last September when Alex and Tiffany got married. And so I am Lolly, and this is Pop, and together we make Lolly Pop. Because we, Amy tells everyone, it's because Lolly is so sweet and Pop is just popping, full of good ideas. The truth is, I'm too young to be a grandma or a nana. So I had to have something with a little bit of fun. Okay, before I get into my story it starts out with, um, I feel like I need to explain that my story isn't exactly a a colourful or a um, glamorous story. It is a story that has been built on a lot of pain and trauma And my heart's desire is that as I share a little bit of that with you today, 
that you will see God's hand on my life from the very beginning. The other thing I've been asked to share by many people over our years at Bridgie is how do I fit into the dual family, as in Jan and Jodie Traves. Um, If you ever speak to Jan and I'm around, she will introduce me as her adopted daughter. And Jodie and I know each other as sisters. And I do have some photos that I did ask Jodie's permission to share, but I thought it might give you a little bit of insight into one of your pastors if they come up. Um, Our story, so the first one in our blue is us being flower girls together. And it kind of started a bit of a theme in our lives. We were often playing dress-ups and Shane needed to be in the photo, so he was a cowboy. And as life went on, so we're flower girls, we're always playing together. And then eventually Jodie got to stand by me on my wedding day. And an incredible um, part just happened is she actually married both of our older kids, Courtney and Alex, last year and earlier this year. I became part of the Jewel family through um, a, a very intentional choice and I believe God's purpose. We grew up in the same church in the early days together. I was born to um, parents who were a little bit older and I was born into a family with a fairly severely intellectually um, impaired sister. Karen is still alive, Karen is still extremely uncooperative, and Karen is hard work. And I can say that openly and honestly because I've done that journey with her. Um, part Part of the outcome of growing up with Karen was she was very difficult to take into social settings. I was an extremely social kid. I was a kid who was very rarely quiet, very rarely still, Um, and Jan and Gary were very close to my mum and dad. In fact, mum and dad were like parents to them when we were growing up in Gympie. And the intention was mum and dad knew I needed this outlet. They knew that I needed to get out and, and do the regular things that regular kids were doing. And so Jan and Gary took me under their wing and really just allowed me to be part of their family. Um, Part of, you know, the reason you'll hear me share things today, I've got two very specific purposes that I believe God has laid on my heart as to why it's important to me be vulnerable and honest. The first is to bring awareness to the brokenness of life and how God loves to redeem our pain. And the second is to prayerfully bring hope and encouragement as we journey with hurting people. Uh, Many of you will be aware that Stuart and I now work alongside the Billy Graham ministry in the chaplaincy side of things. I've probably done more on the Samaritan's Purse side with cooking and feeding volunteers and helping um, set up in the practical way. But no matter where we go, when we are called to a disaster or a tragedy, there are hurting people. And the reality is there are hurting people all around us, whether it be family members, neighbours, 
um, our church family. There's always going to be someone hurting. So I'd love to pray and just ask that God, um, yeah, just blesses our time together this morning. Heavenly Father, I ask that through the telling of our story today, a very small part, but Lord, I pray that we will all be encouraged by your redeeming power and by the hope that is Jesus Christ. Amen. Over the years, um, I have found people to be quite uncomfortable with my story and there just isn't time for me to go into it all today. So I asked God um, very clearly like, to show me which part um, to speak on. So I am going to talk about my mum today. Um, and as I've already said, you know, being born into the family I was born into, I knew that my life was different. I knew that our family was different and as the years progressed and I found myself in different situations at the hands of others who couldn't be trusted, um, I was now different. I wasn't just your regular kid. I'm thankful that in 2021, we seem to be living in a world and we're in a church family where it gives more permission and freedom to talk about the ugly parts of life, about our stories that aren't very glamorous, that don't sound very pretty and very inspiring. But we're, we're given permission to share that. When I was growing up and trying to understand what was happening to me, what was happening around me, why did my life look so different I was often told, well, Sonia, you need to let that go now. You need to forget about that. We don't talk about these things. But yet in God's goodness, he allowed me to have a mum and dad who from a very early age said, Sonia, this is your story. And if you need to talk about that, that's okay. We're never going to tell you to stop talking. Some would say that was probably their first mistake because I never stopped talking. Um, but what that did was it gave me the freedom to voice my pain, to voice what I was going through. If you have walked a similar journey and you know that some of the things that you have had to endure are simply impossible to forget, I'm sure you'll be able to relate to that today. I am in the process at the moment of writing my full story um, with the hope and prayer that it will lead people to see God's love and his redeeming power. And I came across a journal entry recently that I've written 15 years ago, and I'd love to read, read that to you today. It says, I have so much going on inside my head at the moment that it feels like if I don't get it out, or write it down on paper, I might literally lose my mind. These writings are never meant for someone else to read, so I'll probably burn it, but this is my safest and best way to have clarity and to debrief myself. People are way too uncomfortable when I try to talk about it and I can't handle the pity in their eyes. I could never say to people the things I need to write here in these pages 
because I genuinely love the people in my life and the last thing I ever want to do is to hurt someone or feel ungrateful for the good in my life. I need to tell my story. I need to be real and tell my genuine feelings about life. I feel like I am living a lie by always having a smile on my face. Every time I try to talk to someone about it, they try to fix me, shut the conversation down, or tell me I just must be wrong and how I am feeling isn't right. I have never been able to just feel how I feel and that be okay. So that would have been probably a 35-year-old writing, and I have found many of those types of writings from my years as a teenager as well. And what stood out to me then was, I pray that I am never the adult in a young person's life shutting their story down or telling them that they can't talk freely or they can't share. What I realise is that God has created us to live in relationship, to share one another's burdens, to share in the joys and the successes, but also the pain that is part of life. And when I do read over what I've written all those years ago, I realise what I was craving was to be accepted and to have my pain understood. Growing up with a handicapped sister, I learned very quickly that people could be very cruel. Karen made life difficult, and for a kid who was like me, I lived in a lot of frustration. The Jewell family were God's answer to the cries of a little girl who just wanted to go and play with other kids, who just wanted to be able to sing and dance and to enjoy the sweetness that life had to offer. When I was 12, mum was diagnosed with breast cancer and just after my 15th birthday, we lost mum to that disease. When I look back as a nearly 50-year-old woman, I, I really believe mum knew she was dying. I didn't. Um, the doctors had always said she'd be fine but I believe she knew. And one of the ways I know that was the conversations that she and Dad were having with Jan and Gary. Jan cared for Mum. She spent days, weeks, months making Mum eat pumpkin leaf soup because apparently that was going to cure cancer. And Mum just diligently did it because she loved Jan and she loved that someone was fighting for her. But their conversations often rolled around to Sonia. I was the youngest. Um, I was a little bit naughty at that stage in life. Only a little bit, I promise. A little bit rebellious. And mum's greatest fear was that I wouldn't walk with the Lord. In fact, I made a commitment to God a couple of weeks before mum died. And I remember hearing mum praying. She was such a woman of prayer. And one day she prayed and just asked the Lord, please, Lord, I just would love to know that all my children belong to you 
before I come home to be with you. And I remember just bursting into this room and going, are you serious? You know I'm the only one who hasn't that made that decision. And if you're waiting for that to happen to die, well, I'm not making it. That was, that was Sonia logic of, well, if, if she doesn't know that I'm a Christian, then she won't die. Um, God, of course, intervenes and had better and bigger plans. And one night while at Bible study at Jan and Gary's, um, I was too naughty to leave at home by myself, even at 15. And so the instruction was, bring your homework, bring a book. You'll have to sit with us while we do Bible study. And as I was, I was always eavesdropping. So I was listening to this Bible story and I remember hearing Gary talk about, you know, those who have God have life. Those who do not have him do not have life. And I remember just saying, hmm, well, I don't have life then, do I? And the wisdom in these adults, they just stopped the Bible study. They stopped the agenda that they were on that night and paid attention to a young girl who was in obvious need of a saviour. And they just knew that was my time. And so that night I asked Jesus to be my saviour. And I think it was weeks later, mum passed away. I can't say that from that moment that I made that commitment that I began to live a life that glorified God. I didn't. I still made lots of choices that did not honour him. I was angry. I was really angry that my mum had died. And because I think it made people uncomfortable for me to talk about, I only knew two ways to express it. One was through sport and the other was misbehaving and um, getting attention for all the wrong reasons. I was stuck in my pain and I did not know how to move forward. All these years later though, I can see how even when I was overwhelmed with the pain of my story, God was not. He had allowed and planned for me to be intentionally placed into a family who would love and care for me as an extension of them. And I can tell you, I tested that unconditional love and they just, just kept loving me. Shortly after losing mum, I met Stuart at a CYC youth camp, for those of you who know what that is. Jody had dragged me along to tell me that I needed this camp. And, you know, remembering Jody's two years younger than me, so she was only 13 and she knew I needed Jesus. So I went to this camp, met Stewie. I fell in love all too quickly. And I look back at that and think if someone had have told me what the next five years of my life was going to look like, I would have run away. But we aren't given that crystal ball. And so by faith, we, we take each day as it comes. Stuart was in the Navy when we met. So our romance really was done via mail and crazy visits from time to time. And just after I graduated from high school, um, Stuart left the Navy. 
not long after that, while caring for my sister who um, had been assaulted in a home that she was placed into, Karen gave birth to a little girl and I was able to care for that little girl for a couple of months. Stuart and I were engaged and just before this little girl was born, Dad passed away. So I found myself 18 and still pretty angry. I did not understand and I could not see God's purpose. Not long after we were married, I found myself ready to have a baby. And many of you have heard the story of our firstborn little girl. Jessica Lee was born on the 21st of November, 1992, and she passed away on Boxing Day, 1992. Jessie was born with lots of problems that we weren't aware of until she was born. And we spent five weeks getting to know her, loving her, being her mum and dad, all the while knowing that time was short and that we were going to have to say goodbye. Jodie and I recently chatted about Jessica's story and about the time we had with her. And I was reminding Jodie of the morning that Jessica died. I was holding her and I knew, I just knew today was her day. And I can, I can absolutely say with hand on heart, I never lost hope. I never lost hope that if God had chosen to, he could have and would have healed Jessica here on earth. And I remember as, it's, it's a weird thing to explain, but I, I knew Jessica's soul had gone to be with the Lord. I saw that happen. And in that moment, I heard God say to me, Sonia, you still have hope. Hope is still your answer. And it's the hope of knowing that she is now safe in my arms and you will be with her again one day. That, that hope is what gave me peace that I never could have imagined having. I never could have imagined surviving losing another loved one especially this little baby girl who in my mind was the answer to me getting my own family back. And how, like just a little sidestep of that, after Jessica um, had gone to be with the Lord, Stuart and I went to Adelaide. Stuart did Bible college for three years and we entered pastoral ministry. The very first funeral Stuart ever did was for a baby. And I will never forget realising that's what was going to happen. I wasn't able to go. I was not strong enough to do that. But Stuart was able to care for these people, these parents who had lost their baby because he knew that pain. He knew a similar experience of what we had gone through and I do believe God uses those experiences in his redeeming way for us to know what to say, what not to say, and how to care for others. My relationship with church leaders wasn't always great. I was outspoken. 
I questioned everything and I didn't give up until I got an answer. Unfortunately, growing up in that time, some of the answers, some of the things that were said were really unhelpful to a young girl. Part of what Stewie and I have the privilege of doing is training people to go into disasters and to journey alongside hurting people. And one of the things we spend quite a bit of time on is giving people an idea of what not to say, but what is actually helpful to say. Now, I'll share a couple of these with you today purely because I think we can all use the reminder. We all have people we're caring for and it's just, it's good to be aware. At mum's graveside when I was 15, one of the church leaders came alongside me. I didn't really cry when mum died initially, but at the graveside, that was what got me. And this church leader just very firmly said, Sonia, stop your crying. Your tears are taking glory away from God and you're to stop that now. Well, it was quite some time before I cried again. And unfortunately, what happens to us physically when we suppress that grief and that pain, our bodies get sick. So that began a journey for me of being very unwell. When I was holding Jessica and some people from the local church came in to visit, this gentleman just said, isn't it a shame that you didn't know what was wrong with Jess? And I was 19, I was pretty naive. And I was just like, what do you mean? And he said, well, you could have done something about it. You could have ended the pregnancy so that you wouldn't have to be going through this pain now. Remembering that I was still a pretty angry, fiery redhead back then, I remember just looking at these people, handing Jessica to Stuart and saying, I have to leave this room before I hurt that man. And I meant it. I was so angry. The, the classic of, well, let's talk about what unconfessed sin is in your life. Have you been fasting? Have you been praying? You know, what have you not brought before the Lord that led to him allowing you to have another loss in your life. So, you know, for a young person, all that's telling me is that mum dying was my fault, dad dying was my fault, and now it's my fault again that our little baby girl is not going to live. My favourite is, well, God has his reasons, God has his plan, and you just have to accept that. The Lord gives and the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Now that is a biblical truth and a truth that I love. But when you're about to lose a loved one, it's probably not what you want to hear. Being told um, that part of my journey where my innocence had been robbed been told that, well, Sonia, for you to become a Christian, you need to forget that this ever happened because that man could very well be in heaven with you one day and will embrace you. Again, there's truth to that. I needed to forgive. I'm not sure I needed to forget. But 
when you're 14 and you're questioning, is God truly a God of love? That's not what you want to hear. And that actually became a barrier for me to accept God as my saviour. So unfortunately, the church didn't always give people freedom to be in their pain or to share their stories. And I've often wondered if I had been given that freedom to be real, to be honest, to feel what I was feeling, if my pain had been validated, if I could have safely expressed my anger, how many wasted years could have been prevented? I love how different it is here at Bridgie. I love that we recognise the power of recovery. I love that so many of the ministries here at Bridgie are around helping hurting people. One of the beautiful ways God has redeemed the desire of my heart, you know, Jody and I, I have no memory of growing up without Jodie. We sang together, we played together, we performed together, um, we wrote crazy stories together, we just were always together. Every beautiful memory I have as a child includes Jodie. And I will never forget Jodie calling me when she had been approached to come on staff here. And she just asked me to pray. We had prayed together. We were baptised together. Our journey was just side by side. And as we shared that day, we both talked about how, how a dream that we both had would be to serve God alongside together again. We had been in pastoral ministry, I think, for about 10 years by that time. And it was just a dream. We loved serving God together. And when Stuart was asked to go full-time with the Billy Graham ministry, that dream came to fruition. We were given the chance to ask God, what church would you like us to just attend instead of pastoring? What church can we come and be part of and minister alongside people? And for me, it was a no-brainer. Bridgie was the choice. And what I am blessed to be part of is the bridge care side of things here at Bridgie. For those of you who were part of that, you would be so aware that, yes, you're out there doing a lot of jobs, but you're doing a lot of listening. For me, in the coffee shop, up in the op shop, as I'm trying to not get anyone's coffee order wrong, we've got this privilege of being with our community that comes in and listening to their stories. I've had older ladies come back to get a coffee and say to me, I'll wait until you've got a moment. I just wanted to pick up where we were talking last week. That's a privilege. What we do with the Billy Graham ministry, yes, we're out there cleaning houses and getting rid of mud or fire debris, but the majority of what we do is listen. My experience has taught me that when people feel heard, when people feel understood, that is where they will be open to listen and to receive a message about Jesus.
you know, Sonny's story is powerful because who is at the center of it? And uh, yes, she's surrounded by family that love it a bit. She's the mum of three amazing young adults today. Now, I've got the privilege of being her partner in life and ministry and, and loving and raising our family. But in that, I see the, the hallmarks of, of, of a God who does not let people go through life alone or abandon them because it's too hard. Um, Sonny is a pilgrim. And you've heard something today of her story of overwhelming loss and grief and pain. And yet through it all, with God's help, a woman who has continued to just say, Jesus, I'm walking with you and keep walking forward. And it's powerful because of her discovery of God's redeeming love for her in the midst of all that she went through and is even living with today. And folks, we've all got stories, every one of us. It would be, well, it's one of the things I'm looking forward to about heaven is sitting and listening and engaging with people about their stories, hearing how God redeemed in every situation. In the middle of the storm, loving my neighbour is listening, it's being present. It rarely means having the right words. You've already said that today. It, it rarely means having all the answers. But you know what, those folks in the moment of their pain, in the journey of their grief, they will never forget that you turned up, that, that you, as a neighbour, as a friend, as a family member, stood beside them in their way, in their moment of grief and pain. And you know, when we're out in the field or sitting beside people in church or talking to a neighbour, we often hear the question, does God actually care? Does God really care? Really you know, to answer that question, I'd like us to have a look at John chapter 11. It's the story of Jesus' friends, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. Lazarus is gravely ill. The word has come to Jesus, your friend is not well, please come. And Jesus waits four more days, and Lazarus dies, and then Jesus arrives in the village. Let's pick it up in verse 33. When Jesus saw her weeping, that's one of the sisters, and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and he was greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? And the crowd said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews said, See how he loved him. But some of them said, Could not he who opened the eyes of a blind man also have kept this man from dying? And then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone lay against it. And Jesus said, Take away the stone. Have you ever thought about this reality that Jesus is angry in this moment? But we don't often think about that as Jesus being angry unless he's dealing with hypocrites and Pharisees. But here he is in the midst of a grievous moment for a family of fr and friends and he is angry and troubled. The reality is that God created the world to be good. He said it was very good and from God that's like an A++ on a report card. You know, It's perfect 
And humans are made to live in relationship with God as our creator and with one another, to love our neighbor as we love ourselves. But the hard truth is that we fall short in that. We become selfish, prideful, envious, jealous, selfish. We fall short of what God created us to be and even what we set ourselves to be. We are incapable of living up to it. The word actually comes from an old archery term from the ancient world of where an archer would draw the bow and shoot the arrow towards the target and the arrow would not reach its target. It would fall short of the mark. And the archer would sing out, it's a sin, I've fallen short of the target. And in the same way, God says, here is the standard. And we all have to agree, God, we've sinned. We've fallen short. We can't even live to our own standards, let alone the standards you have set for us. And the reason I say this is that it's an evidence of of our, not only our internal moral failure, but also the brokenness of the world that we live in. Our falling short has broken everything. You know, we find freedom and we flourish by living within the boundaries that God gives us. Even as we acknowledge, we don't always perfectly do that. In, the game of, in games of sport, we need rules or it would be bedlam. Society has laws and rules. Without them, it's chaos. And God says to us, love Love me, the Lord your God, with your heart, soul, mind and strength. Love your neighbour as you love yourself. And yet we must acknowledge we, we are not able to do this. We sin, we miss the mark. And the result of that is death. The result of that is a brokenness of relationship, being cut off from our neighbours, our family, our friends and our God. And friends, death is an intrusion into God's created order. It is a stark, immovable reminder that all is not well in our world, that we have missed the target, that we have fallen short, that we have sinned. And maybe that's why we don't like to talk too much about death. We feel helpless and powerless before its inevitability in our own lives. And yet Jesus stands at the graveside of his friends and he says, open the grave, move the stone. I have come that you might have life and have it to the full. Yes, Jesus is deeply moved at the intrusion of death, of its pain and grief for his friends. The Greek word that's used to describe Jesus being deeply troubled is actually used four times in the Gospels. It's a compound word. It's two ideas brought together. It's describing grief and anger. Literally, the word means to snort like an angry horse. And if you've been around horses and you see them get burnt up and their ears prick up and their tail stands up and then they'll paw the ground and then they'll snort. You know, it's that you want to test me kind of moment. And that's what's 
being described about Jesus in this moment. He is offended at the intrusion of sin, of brokenness in the life of his friends and the impact it was having. Isn't that a beautifully human reaction? God cares. He cares so much that he rolled up his sleeves and he plunged full depth into the mess of our stories. He says, this is not how it's supposed to be, standing around graves, mourning people. And so with a word, God restores. I think the answer, my friends, is this. Yes, God cares about our pain, our story, our grief, our loss. It's personal. And as he climbed into the mess with us, he invites us to take his love to our friends and our neighbours, caring for them in their moment of pain or grief or loss, turning up. And you can trust your mess, your crisis, your missing the mark to Jesus today. It's as simple as the ABCs. Firstly, admit that you've fallen short. You've missed the mark. B, believe that God's good news is for you. That God rolled up his sleeves and he got in the mess and he hung on a cross for you. Believe that. He did it. And then C is confess that Jesus is Lord. Not a master with a whip, but a strong, powerful, compassionate friend who will walk with us every day of his life. Does God care when people go through grievous stories? Does God care for people like you and I? Absolutely. And you can know that with confidence and certainty today. I think um, what's really important to note in my story, and I'm sure in many people's stories, and Stuart has touched on this, it is never God's design or his plan for us to stay stuck in that grief or in that anger or in that fear. To share um, a little snippet of how God has done that for me. I will never forget the first Mother's Day after losing Jess, the first Christmas. And I remember crying out to God and saying, will I ever laugh again? Will I ever smile, a genuine smile, again? Well, it was many, many years. I often say, I cried for 20 years and God turned my tears into laughter and joy. If you ever were to see my social media account, I'm very deliberate in, I love a good celebration. I love to laugh and I feel incredibly blessed for the family that God has allowed Stuart and I to have. So that is what my social media is full of. There are people who have known me and people who are new to me who sometimes question that. They're like, mm, I think you've been a bit fake. No one can be that happy all the time. No one can just be enjoying life so much. 
And I love it when they message me and ask me about that because it gives me an opportunity to say, you're absolutely right. I cried for 20 years and then God brought healing in a way that only he could. Our middle child, our soldier, who was quite the handful growing up, when he reached about 12, Alex said to me, Mum, I really get sad when I see you cry. When it's Jessica's birthday, you cry for days and days. And immediately I'm like, oh no, I am messing this kid up. Like he is going to carry my pain and be traumatised by it. So I apologised and said, I will try to do better. (laughs) Alex just simply went, oh mum, no, you don't need to do better. But we need to find a way to help you not be so sad every year. So he went away for a little bit and he told me he was going to go and ask God to give him an idea. As I mentioned earlier, Jessica's birthday is the 21st of November. This year it will be 29 years since she was born. Alex came back to me and he said, Mum, you know how you're always bugging Dad to start playing Christmas music early or to put our Christmas tree up early. And Dad always says, no, not until the 1st of December. He said, I think it's time to break that rule. He said, with us kids, so himself, Courtney and Benny, he said, you throw the best birthday dinners or the best birthday parties. You spend ages choosing our gifts. You wrap them, you rewrap them. You get so excited. And he said, if Jessica was here, you would be throwing a party. And he said, so my, my thought is, how about on the 21st of November every year, we come together and we decorate our Christmas tree. That came from a 12-year-old boy who wasn't very emotionally in touch, I would have thought. He would rather be kicking a ball or winning some sort of race. And do you know, in that moment, that very first year, I got these little Christmas baubles made with all of our names, including Jessica's. It was an emotional afternoon, but that was where it was almost as though that was the old and this is the new. And no matter where our kids are today, if they can, they still come home on the 21st of November And we give thanks for our family. We give thanks that Jessica is healed and whole and is with our Lord. That brought healing for me. And if I could encourage you as you journey with people who are hurting, when you are sitting alongside people in hospitals, it's okay to not have the perfect words. It's okay to just sit with them. We call this the ministry of presence. The day mum died, I was in Brisbane, so growing up in Gympie, I was not a city girl. I was in a house all by myself and the phone call came that mum had passed. I remember ringing Jan, having you know that conversation and a cry 
And then, you know, I'm pretty sure Jan finished it off with, are you going to be okay? Are you going to be safe? And I just said, I don't know. Well, I hung up that phone, put on my joggers, grabbed a water bottle, and I was going to go. I didn't know where I was going to go to. All I knew was that I was alone, I was angry, I was in deep pain. So all I knew how to do was run with no thought to my safety, with no thought of leaving a note for dad that, hey, I've just gone for a run. And when I opened the door to go, there was a stranger standing in front of me. He apparently was a friend of my brother's and he said, I just, I was driving and this thought popped into my head that I should really go to Matthew's house and just check in and see how his mum's doing. I didn't know this guy. I was pretty rude at the time. But what I look back and realise is God used that young man. I believe God spoke to him and told him to show up because it stopped me from running. We had a quick, you know, encounter of words, closed the door and I was safe. I was hurting but I was safe. That's the importance of showing up. Whether it be that you take a meal or you are just there, people always want someone to share that pain. But you don't always have to have this beautiful amount of wisdom and words to fill an empty space. When we are quiet, it often gives that person who is hurting the freedom and the space to talk. If they want to, they may not be ready to. But your, your presence is a beautiful ministry in itself. So as we finish today, if I could encourage you to continue to be a safe person for someone who is hurting, the person that prays, the person that keeps a confidence, the person that shows up and the person who advocates for someone who may not be able to do that for themselves. Our words are important. We need to be careful with what we say in the moments of pain. And sometimes it's okay to not say much at all. Being present is often enough. I know that I am a living example of God's grace of his mercy and of his unconditional love. I am so very aware that my life today and my relationship with Jesus is not only a direct result of praying parents, but of a praying church. And that is something we can all do. For those in our life, for those in our family, for those in the world who have not yet encountered Jesus. And I thank you for being those people. I look forward to glory when I think some of us will be very surprised by who we are joined with there. And often that will come through your prayers and your faithfulness. Um might get Stewie to pray, but thank you so much for journeying with us today.
Our gracious God and heavenly Father, thank you that you are a faithful and good God who walks with his children through the valleys and across the mountains of our life. Thank you, that God, that you turn up to the hard places. You don't abandon us even when we fall short of the mark. And gracious Father, I pray for each person sitting here this morning. Lord, as they have heard this story this, and shared in this journey, that Father, that you will minister your grace and peace to them as individuals, as a group, as intercessors, grandparents, and adults in the lives of others, that they too might recognize the call on their life to be hope bringers and people of peace in their community and their family, that they might share God's hope in the valley and in their day by day. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Why don't we stand together? God's given us a song to, to conclude with this morning, and it's called Living Hope. So let's all stand together as we thank Jesus. He's the living, here's our living hope here this morning.
you realize we're dealing with real issues. Life as it is. And into that, the precious name of Jesus. And if today you just need prayer for where you're at, if your heart just crying out for somebody just to pray with you, come to the front seats. Stuart, Jan, Sonia, Mum, Annette, you're all here. Jeanette, Brian, you're all here. Come and pray. Let's do the journey together in Jesus. We worship and praise you, our Father. Oh, we thank you for the blessed name of Jesus. Nothing, nothing, nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. And we humbly bow in your presence and appropriate by faith that which is ours in you. We thank you, Lord, and commit one another to your love and grace, even as we fellowship around coffee. And to you be all the glory. Amen.